So we're talking with Hao Yan Vu, the editor of this new blog, or the writer of this new blog, uh, Bolshevik.com. Uh, and you, you got your education, uh, university education here then? Yes, I did. I went to Purdue University, in, that's in Indiana. And uh, did, um, what did you study? I studied mathematics. So uh, by training, I'm a mathematician. Wow. So how did you jump from math? And, and then you went to law school, right? Yeah, I did. And uh, did uh, in a way I jumped through a lot of careers. Uh, I was a mathematician, a an actuary working for insurance companies. And then I was a oh. lawyer, and then I was a newspaper man. And how um, how did you become a newspaper person? Um, I first got I first started work at Noviet Daily News on a different capacity in their uh, finance department oh. and then I just got interested in writing and the reporting and I did some stories and sort of things sort of snowballed from there and you eventually became a managing editor in Noiviet yeah in the last uh, three or four years with the company I was managing editor how, how did that happen why did that happen um, <laughs> I don't know I guess you t- have to ask my boss how how he hired me but um, I think it is just that you know, I've demonstrated my skill as an editor and writer. And this was editing um, Vietnamese? Yes, it's all in Vietnamese. It's yeah. a Vietnamese language newspaper. As a matter of fact, it's the largest Vietnamese language newspaper in the state and probably in the country as well. And, and Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and it's still uh, the largest, right? I mean, it was when uh, Yendo was uh, uh, the publisher, I guess. Yeah, it's still the largest. Um, of course, a lot of competitors would you know, try to reach that level, but um, you know, it, it it would take time for anybody to build up a newspaper. And it's a daily, so that's a really a lot of work. Seven days a week. Seven, yeah, yeah. Three hundred sixty-five days a year. Yeah. The uh, the so how did this um, incident that uh, happened? Uh, how did that happen? How did it precipitate itself? And uh, you're getting. Yeah, and how did you, why did you end up leaving the Neuviet? Um, I left Neuviet um, because the people that, was protest, that were protesting the newspaper basically demanded it, and the management uh, gave in. But, um, so the real question is, um, how, did the protest came about in the fir- com- how did the protests come about in the first place? And... Um, the protest came about because of a picture that was printed in a special New Year edition of the paper. Um, actually, when we're saying a special edition, it's actually really special. We're talking about you know a bound book, you know, nice glossy paper, full color. It's like it's an annual, like, huh? It's like an annual special. Yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, souvenir edition. It's not. It doesn't look anything like a newspaper at all. For Vietnamese New Year. Yeah. Yeah. And um, as editor in charge of getting stories and articles and features for that issue, I had run across this blog by an artist um, who's who at the time, well, I think at the time she was already in, in graduate school at UC Davis. But when she created the artwork, she was at UC Berkeley. And I came across her blog, and it 
had a link to a website on campus um, with her artwork in it. And her artwork depicts a lot of everyday objects and with Vietnamese symbolism attached to them. And one of which was a, um, a series of pedicure spas. These are the spas that, I guess, people put their feet in there and have their feet worked on while they're sitting on the chair, I guess. It's and a I nail salon thing, Yeah, right? it's a nail salon. It's a reference to nail salons and yeah. work done by pedicure workers. Because the uh, artist's uh, mother was working in a nail salon, right, before? Her mother-in-law, yes. Her mother-in-law. husband's mother. Okay. And... Um, and a lot of Vietnamese work in nail salons now. I think sure. um, a, a large majority, probably 60 or 70% of Vietnamese, make their living from nail salons one way or another, either as an owner, as a worker, mm. um, or as a contractor working for nail salons, and so on and so forth. So it's, it's a big part of being Vietnamese. And um, next to the, uh, the artwork, or rather photos of the artwork. We're talking about installation arts where she actually took the pedicure spores and she actually displayed them, um, was an artist statement. And in the artist statement, she told the story of how her mother-in-law went to work every day um, on probably either minimum wage or a little bit above minimum wage, um, just working on people's feet all day. And with all that money, she sent her husband I mean, not the mother's husband, but the, the artist's husband, mm. to college. She sent a lot of her nieces and nephews and grandchildren in Vietnam to college in Vietnam. Wow. And she even had money to, you know, cash to give to the artist from time to time. So we're talking about a very touching story about the very hard work, very typical Vietnamese work performed by a Vietnamese woman for her family. Yeah. Um. The uh, mother-in-law has since passed away, and the artist did this series of art in memory of her mother-in-law, and she did a series of pedicure spores. And in order to convey the Vietnamese character of the mother-in-law, she painted the um, the spores in the Vietnamese in the colors of the Vietnamese flag, and that is yellow with three red stripes. Um, it is also the flag of the former South Vietnam, and that is the sentiment that people like the artist's mother-in-law felt about Vietnam, um, that they felt about South Vietnam and not the current Vietnamese communist government. So she chose the flag that represented her mother-in-law, the um, yellow flag with three red stripes. She painted it on the pedicure spar that represents the hard work of her mother-in-law, and she used that as her installation art. So when I saw that, and I saw that symbolism, I was really touched. So yeah. I contacted the artist, and mm-hmm. I asked her for permission to use her artist statement in the story, in the newspaper, in the special edition. And, um, uh, and on a fit of laziness, I also asked her to translate the English into Vietnamese so that I wouldn't have to do it. <laughs> And nice enough, she did it. And so she translated the whole thing to Vietnamese. Uh, we printed it. Was there uh, any picture or any symbol of the North in there? Um, not in that one. She ah. had other artwork that had the, uh, oh, the current, current government. The yeah. red and yellow star flag. Um, but on the artwork that we, we chose to, um, 
to show in the special edition. Uh-huh. Um, it was the story of about her mother-in-law working in a nail salon, um, you know, raising a family, not just the, her immediate family here in the United States, but also her extended family in Vietnam um, on that minimum wage or you know, close to it. And um, the artwork, the photo of the artwork next to it. Um, it came out, the issue came out, and it was okay for about a couple months. And then I went off on vacation. <laughs> I went to a career in Japan. <laughs> never go away. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, that's the lesson. Never go away. Even when you're in the news business, stay home. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. Um, when I was there, people were sending me email and saying, oh, you got to come back and share the pain. And I have no idea what they're talking about. Huh. And it turns out that while I was away, um, there was a radio personality who went on the radio and really ragged on this artwork because he thought that the flag of South Vietnam, which was you know, sacred to a lot of people, um, shouldn't have been associated with something you put your feet in. Uh, it's almost like a spittoon or the kind of a, like something like, you know, where you spit in or where you wash. Yeah. yeah. Um, some, I guess the idea the was analogy. something like that. Yeah. If, if it's a flag, then you ought to put it up on the flagpole and nowhere uh. else. Um, and that led to protests. And the protests have been going on since must be early February or late <laughs> January. Every day. <laughs> Every day. Uh. Day and night. Um, if you come out at night, you'll see some people there too. Yes, I've seen them, yes. And uh, did they re- make reference to the um, current government's uh, flag at all or in the article or in their protest? Um, in the protest, at the beginning, it was only about that article in the special edition. Mm. So were you responsible for having that picture in there? or I mean, did, or did they just blame you? or how, how did They blamed the newspaper, I guess, huh? Well, the protesters blamed the newspaper, but um, I was the individual who contacted the audience and solicited <laughs> the material. Oh, great. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's an inspiring story, actually, the, this artist's life. And uh, she wanted to connect the two countries, right, how, how it impacted, uh, or two, two histories. And, uh, right. She had, um, she had other artwork that suggests that she wanted to reconcile yeah. um, the various ideologies or the various camps um, for the good of, you know, the one one people, the Vietnamese mm-hmm. people in, in Vietnam, the country. Um, the artist is relatively young compared to, I guess, compared to me. Um, she's 20s, right? She's in her 20s. Yeah. And f- like a lot of people born in Vietnam and after the war, they've never seen the former South Vietnamese flag. A lot of them, oh. um, they may very well be anti-communist for all we know, but um, to them, they've somehow adopted what a lot of people here consider the communist flag. They've adopted that flag as a Vietnamese flag, as a country's flag, as opposed to just the flag of the communists. Because they grew up under that flag. Right. They grew up under that flag, and they would consider that, quote-unquote, their flag, and the communist flag, they would, Look at the you know the old hammer and sickle, the um, the communist symbol as the flag of the communist party. So to a lot of them, they're alien to the yellow flag, 
and the artist had some other artwork, but those were not the one in the in the paper. She had some other artwork seeking reconciliation with the younger generation in Vietnam, with the older generation in the U.S. and elsewhere. And her name is Huynh Thuy Chau. Um, uh, yeah, her name is Huynh Thuy Chau. And matter of fact, she just graduated from, from Davis. UC Davis a week ago. She she's now has she now has her master in fine arts degree. And she she her work won the she won the Robert Haas Fellowship for her art installation, right? Yeah, that yeah. was where I first saw her artwork on the um, website for the Robert Haas Fellowship program. So does she? Uh, did she get a job already? Uh, she oh, <laughs> I have no idea. Job. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, she um, she had her MFA show last week, and a group of people came up from Little Saigon to see her show, and one of them bought one of her artworks. So <laughs> I guess uh, she's now officially a working artist. So um, so the protester, the main protester is Ngo Ki. Uh, yes. Who who went on? The radio, or is it radio? No, Key or Key, no. King or, yeah. Either or. Um, yeah, Ngo is the He's on surname. the radio um, probably once or twice a week. And calling one person communist on another person communist. So red baiting. Yeah. A lot of it. Why, um, why did the your newspaper not support you? Um, I think in a way, a lot of way, uh, at the time the newspaper was going through a change in management. Um, because shortly before um, the protests and also while I was on vacation, the um, company, which is owned by something like a dozen shareholders, had their shareholder meetings and they re-elected the board of directors. They got the new board directors on, got new management on, and um, their first task out the door was to uh, face these protesters. So I think they didn't have enough experience dealing with protesters, and they overreacted. So how many, at that time, how many protesters were there, do you think? Um, at the time, the protesters were also more numerous than now. Yeah. Um, there was a big crowd, uh, probably about 20 or 30 every day. Oh, that's not that many. Well, it's not that many, but <laughs> it's a small parking lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they were loud. Yeah. And uh, so what did they do? What did the board do? Um... The management asked me to basically stay home and stay away from the protesters um, for a while. So I did. Um, and while I was staying home, still on the payroll, um, they came out and told the protesters that I've been been fired. Oh, um, you were actually just on leave, I guess. So, but, but in reality, I was just on leave. But, you know, they figured that that's the way to get the protesters to go away, to, you know, to stop it. Know, to go tell him that Hao Yin Vu had been fired. Um, he's no longer here. You haven't seen him in the office for weeks, so please pack up your stuff and go away. So they were lying. Were they lying to them, or were they really firing you? Um, at the time, I was not fired. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yet uh, now, whether or not there was a non-public decision to fire me uh, that would make their statement to the protesters not a lie, I don't know. Um, you know what I mean? They asked me in, in in dealing with me. They told me that I was has not I have not been fired yet. Um, but if at the same time they had a secret vote to fire me and they came out to tell the protesters that they had fired me, then that would not be a lie. Right. Um, you don't know. 
yeah. but I don't know if they did have one. Did were they did they criticize you in uh, I mean in person against uh, f- about the the putting that picture in or that profile in? Um at the time no. Oh. And I think the uh, the the um well it's it's like everything. Um people change their thinking their stance. people change their stance as reality on the ground develops. Yeah. So um as the um, protest continued as the protesters refused to believe that I had been fired. <laughs> um, and, and, and they had reason to do that because the paper had pulled stunts like that before where they, oh. you know, quote-unquote fired somebody and then a month or two later the person was hired back. Uh-huh. Um, so because of that history, uh-huh. the protesters didn't quite believe what management said. And also that This time, a lot of people, and it's not just myself, a lot of people suspected that the protesters actually had some ulterior motive. It's not this article, it's not this artwork, it's not Tao Nien Vu. It's the protesters had something against the paper and they wanted something else other than... What, what, was, the, what was the ulterior motive, you think? Um, there are a lot of speculation, I guess. Um, one ulterior motive could be just simple competition. It just could be that some competitors wanted Nervia to get into a lot of trouble, so they were providing support to the protesters, and that's why the protesters have been able to go on you know, 24-7, day and night. So this is, would be another newspaper, maybe? Or? Um, probably. could be another newspaper. It could be some other media outlets. Uh-huh. Um, there's also speculation that maybe it is the government of Vietnam that's just happy to see <laughs> trouble in Little Saigon, and you know they just stoked the fire. That's a convenient target, I guess. Oh, convenient. Uh-huh. That's a convenient explanation for Every, yeah, yeah, for everything. Did it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but that'd be interesting. Uh, like King King All is um, the communists are behind him. <laughs> so there's charges, right? Back and yeah, forth. there are a lot of charges. Yeah, so yeah. There are a lot of red baiting back and forth. Um, about a um, couple months after the um, protest started, the newspaper itself started to float the idea that maybe the communists are behind Kino. Oh. <laughs> um, even the Orange County DA um, came to visit the paper and sort of said, oh, yeah, maybe the communists are behind it all. Um, and This things just got worse. Things just snowballed. Everybody This is started calling the DA, Rakakakis. Yes, Tony Rakakakis. Yeah. He came and visited the paper, and during an interview with the paper, he said, yeah, maybe the communists are having a hand in this. <laughs> that, that got the paper really happy, I guess. Yeah, yeah, so they could quote him. So you, you were, then how many weeks did it take before you were actually fired after um, the start of the protest? Exactly one month. Oh, yeah. oh. And did they call you in or they telephoned you or how did that they happen? They telephoned me and they sent me a formal letter. Uh, yeah. So that was it? The, they they pay you severance or whatever? Yeah, they paid yeah. me severance and that was it. Wow. And did did they reference the the controversy or, at all? Or? Um, well, it's understood. I yeah, mean, sure. You know, the reality is when you terminate employees, you don't put in a lot of details. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to open yourself up. Yeah. So, uh, in the meantime, uh, did um, what was the reaction of the artists of uh, Huynh Thuy? 
Chow. Uh, did she was she shocked at all this? Uh, did her did her uh, viewpoint get um, presented anywhere? Um, she was shocked at this, um, and um, she obviously still thought or um, defended her action as just an act of love. It's an act of showing her love to her mother-in-law. Oh. Um, and, um, you know, people, sh- her view, I don't know what really what her view is because, you know, I've talked to her from time to time, but, uh, you know, I, we, we don't sit around and psychoanalyze the protesters. We don't, we don't. Yeah. You know, uh, we just talk about life in general. <laughs> um, we both thought that um, people should really view things in context. I mean, yeah. If you have the, a picture of something, the the painting of the flat colors into a pedicure spa by itself, then yeah, maybe I guess it's re- somewhat reasonable to find that um, offensive. But when you s- view that in context of the artist's statement of the story of the mother-in-law, which is published right beside it, yeah. Um, then you ought to really, well, maybe you can still be offense offended. That's fine, but you should. Just take it as you know, as you viewing the artwork one way, and other people viewing it another way, and not try to like impose on the artist that she intended to offend anybody or he intended to insult the flag or anything like that. Um, it's also interesting that in all the reprints of the picture, in all the uh, instances where the protesters reprinted the picture, they always reprint the picture by itself without mm-hmm. the article next to it. Um, without the artist's statement. Without the artist's statement. Uh, so, um, if they think the picture is so bad, why did they reprint it? <laughs> um, well, uh, well mm, they reprint it with uh, a cross out. Oh, uh, like a red cross on it. Yes. Um, which I'm, I'm looking at the OC Weekly uh, article on, on the whole controversy and there's a picture of you uh, in a newspaper, I guess, huh? Uh, with red cross over yourself that the protesters oh, holding yeah, up. Oh, yeah, they have a picture of me and a red cross out over me as well. Did that scare you, all this stuff? This whole yelling and screaming and putting crosses on your face? And you know what? When you've been around Little Saigon for this long, things like this don't scare you. I mean, things like this happen all the time. Yeah. Did you get uh, death threats directly? No, I never no. did. But on the first few weeks of the protest, the newspaper received a bomb threat in email. Oh. And at the time, I was still working there, and uh, we turned it over to the police. And the newspaper also um, publicized that incident. And the staff got pushed around, right? Uh, so, I mean, some delivery, uh, newspaper delivery person or... Some uh, staffer for, yes, for the paper? Yes, one of our reporters um, sort of came out and hung around. Oh. Um, and I guess the um, the protesters didn't know that he worked for us. And this also happened when I was still there. So he was just hanging around with the protesters and sort of acted curious. That, oh, what's going on here? Oh, what, yeah. what, what did Noiviet do? Oh, is that? And then when they showed the picture, and also the picture of our late publisher in yeah. a meeting with... Um, the Vietnamese Consul General and and the Prime Minister, so they they were 
the protesters will point at that as somehow evidence that the paper is communist. Uh, you know, that that's another leap of faith. But you know, when you deal with these people, they have a lot of leap of faith, and you sort of sort of take that for granted. So the yeah, I mean, do you think Yando? I mean, that picture is that is was that when he came for a visit that time? Um, that you picture think? was taken of our late publisher Yendo, and in a meeting of some sort um, with some Vietnamese American business people on one side and um, Vietnamese government officials on the other. And according to the current publisher, uh, when Yendo went to that meeting, he before he went to that meeting, he had notified everybody. Um, all the major shareholders, all the board members, um, <laughs> yeah. they, they said it's okay to go. Ah. So he went. And, and that's what the, our current publisher, who had known Mr. Yendo for, I don't know, 40-some years. Sure, yeah. Um, that's what he said. Um, so he went and had a meeting. You know, like everybody else, you, know, you go to meeting with communists. doesn't mean you're a communist. I mean... Right, uh, yeah. Well, without... I, I don't intend to give more ammunition to protesters, but, you know, obviously I myself met plenty of communists. <laughs> you mean here or over there? Uh, here and over there. Did you cover the Newport, I mean the, what was that, when the Prime Minister came? Um, or the President came too? Oh, uh, came, when the President yeah. came to Dana Point? Yeah, Dana Point, sorry. Yeah. Um, no, I wasn't there. Ah. Um, that, you know, as, as a, a journalist and, or even as a normal human being, you meet you ought to meet all kinds of people. You can't just hang around with your own crowd. <laughs> so anyway, so Mr. Yendo was at this meeting with, you know, Vietnamese American businessman on one side, and obviously he was one. He was a Vietnamese businessman. For sure. Um, and the Vietnamese government officials on the other side, and people were putting up those photos as if it's evidence that Mr. Yendo was a communist. Um, so back to the story I was telling about this reporter hanging around with the protesters and asking them questions and getting curious and then sort of putting them down a little bit, said, oh, is that all? And then they pointed to the, the picture of the uh, foot spa, the pedicure spa, and the guy said, oh, is that all? And a picture of Ian Doe, and the guy keeps saying things like, that's nothing, you shouldn't be protesting the paper over trivial little things like that. And that got the protesters angry, and they pushed him. Oh, they didn't know he was from Navy yet. He didn't know he was oh, yeah. from Navy yet. And he's, he's, he's start, they start pushing him around, and he felt, the tension escalating, he felt that he really ought to get out of there. So he did, he got out of there. And um, that, however, was captured on video. Oh. And that became the basis for a, an ongoing criminal prosecution against the person who pushed the, uh, the reporter. Was that key? No. No, that was another individual, Chong oh. Duan. Um, Chong Duan oh. was featured in a register story where right. the register right. reporter Deepa Barath was trying to figure out where on earth Trondwan came from because nobody knew his background and out of nowhere he appeared. Right. He, he sort of shot to the, to the leadership position of the protesters. Nobody heard of him back where he was working before, or, you know, from another state. Yeah, yeah. He, he was in Boston, and the reporter found one of his acquaintances in Boston, but that's pretty much it. Uh, you know, nobody knew where he's from. Yeah. Um, and all, all out of nowhere, he became a leader of protest. So a lot of people were curious about him, um, and people still are. But anyway, he's the one that pushed the Noviet reporter, and um, so he's the one who's currently being prosecuted. So is there a court date for that? Uh, There's a court date for that. It's um, 
June something for the um, the pre trial. Uh, oh, yeah. Either this week or next week, I forgot. So the um, so after you were fired, uh, or before that, before we get to that, do you think Yendo would have handled it differently? Um, I think Yendo would have handled it differently, and and he would have gotten different results, even for the same action. Um, Yendo would have gotten a different result from, you know, any of current management. Um, and, and that I would even include myself. Um, I'm, I'm not trying to say anything bad about current management. And that is this. Yendo was the publisher for this paper for a long time, and the difference between him and a lot of other people, other shareholders and directors and management of the paper is that he has a lot of connection in the community. He knows a lot of people. His you know, he had a personal he had personal contact with a lot of people. So the same words and statements uh-huh. if it's said by me or by any of current management would not have the same impact mm-hmm. or effect than if it was said by Mr. Yendo. He he had a different um he had a different level of connection with a lot more people in a lot more areas of the community. Even though he himself, or uh, his, I don't know if that in the past had run-ins with protesters. If a truck was burned, right? Because they, yeah, he's yeah. had his own share of run-ins with protesters. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. But still he had better ties, I think. He had better ties than he was able to better, he, he had better ways of connecting with people. For sure. And um, do you, th- um, so you think there is some, I mean, usually people think of, I mean, there, there must be, I mean, it's not really anti-communism, right? I mean, these are, that's just a cover, right? I mean, that's a convenient kind of scapegoat. I think, uh, and a lot of people agree with me, that it's not really anti-communism. It's, there's some ulterior motive going on. Or is it just speak, um, that they have a lot of time on their hands and they, they they try to target different, um, like the protest against uh, Viet Weekly is still going on, although not to the same scale, I suppose. I mean, not every day. That's still going on, right? Yeah, that protest too is still going on. And um, one of the effects of all these protests is that um, a lot of people started to view, a lot of participants in these protests started to view protesting as like a way to build credibility. So there's a lot of politicking and a lot of infighting going on among the protesters as well. I mean, people who are leading this protest against Noiviet started to badmouth the people who are leading the protest against Viet Weekly and badmouth them. They're not in solidarity. They're not in solidarity because they're they're starting to think that whoever leads the more successful protests will become some sort of quote unquote leaders. Um, So um, so now their personal agenda and personal ambitions come into play and really um, you should really I don't know either listen to or get somebody to translate some of the late night radio oh yeah that's been going on between I would say between the Noi Viet Gang and the anti-Noi Viet Gang and the anti-Viet Weekly Gang <laughs> and some other third party gangs who are all chiming in and um, <laughs> it's it's a comedy it's a farce but when you were editor of the Noi Viet, didn't didn't your paper take a stand against Viet Weekly also? 
Um, yeah. Um, Neuviet also published the um, the call out uh. um, that says you know a call out by group so and so calling for people to join the protest against Viet Weekly because they are bad communists and so on and so forth. <laughs> Did you believe that when you, it was published? Oh, I believe they were intending to protest, but no, I don't think Viet Weekly is communist. I mean, seriously, the communist. Party of Vietnam is, you know, a well-organized, um, well, well-organized organization, I guess. Um, and uh, no, they don't go around wantonly recruiting communists here, left and right. They got mm-hmm. their own selection criteria. I'm sure. I'm sure I wouldn't qualify. I'm sure Viet Weekly wouldn't qualify. I'm sure Ngoi Viet wouldn't qualify. I mean, some people could argue that because he went to school with uh, Levu, the editor of, or the publisher of uh, Viet Weekly. That that shows some, you know, nefarious connection. Yeah, the uh, the <laughs> French connection, maybe. <laughs> the Purdue connection. Oh, pe- people can um, draw whatever conclusion out of any connection you want. I mean, this is a small community. Yeah, definitely. Um, the community is getting much bigger, but among people who have been around as long as I have, um, there are only a small number of people who have been doing things for a long time. Yeah. If you look hard enough, we're talking about, you know, not even six degrees of separation. Look hard enough, <laughs> you'll find some connection between person A and person B. So, yeah. really, if you want everybody who has any connection with me to be a communist, then the, uh, there are a lot of communists out there, I'm telling you. I'm interested in how many people who are protesting actually did go back to Vietnam. Because I remember an early time story where, or maybe it was a poll, where they actually interviewed people and like 60% of the people actually did go back. Uh, to visit relatives or whatever, you know, in the community or something. Yeah, uh, that's that they interview. thing. Yeah. Um, a lot of people are visiting Vietnam, and it used to be viewed that if you visit Vietnam, you're somehow communist. I mean, <laughs> that view is, like, in some sort of, like, really small minority now. Yeah, yeah. Um, that view, in fact, if we were talking about the same topic maybe 20 years ago, yeah, for sure. then, yes, definitely that was the majority view at the time. Because there were protests against uh, this doctor, right, who had a travel agency, or who, who, uh, who, who traveled to Vietnam. Traveled yes. Vietnam, um, and then, and then against then, the travel agency also. Um, so they were pros- protesting the doctor, they were protesting the, um, the travel agency. Yeah, yeah. And when Mr. Yendo, our publisher, spoke out in support of the doctor, they p- were protesting him too. Um, so 20 years ago, to equate traveling to Vietnam with communism was the norm, but now it's... I, I would say if you do a survey, I'd be really surprised if you find more than 10% of the community thinking that traveling to Vietnam is a bad thing. Um, but King Al probably hasn't gone back. A lot of people haven't gone back. Uh, yeah. Uh, Mr. Yendo, to my knowledge, has never been to Vietnam. Right, you know, right. He, you know, the one who's <laughs> accused of being communist, he's never been back. Um, Kino hasn't been back. I know... P- a lot of people who haven't. Um, my brother hasn't been back, but you know, I myself, I've been back a million times. Yeah, actually, within the same family, there's people that have gone back, and I remember, like a few years ago, people wouldn't even talk about it, but the you know, the sister might have gone back, the daughter might have gone back, but the, they themselves didn't want to go back because they thought, oh wow, you know, don't want to support the communists. Yeah, it's not as much uh, whether or not they view other going back as communists, but I. They're afraid of uh, backlash. They're afraid of backlash, or they just don't think 
they they like the idea of landing in Saigon, and the first person they see is is a uh, <laughs> is a communist in right. you know, police uniform. I mean, uh-huh. that actually that if you were asking that whether or not individually they would want to go back to Vietnam, then you have a higher percentage than whether or not you yourself maybe you don't you don't or do want to go back to Vietnam. But do you think people who go are communists? Then that that is an absolute almost inf- infinitesimal small number yeah um but it still come up from time to time and and it's bizarre enough um some people still say it as if it were some sort of gospel truth truth that if you travel to vietnam then you're not anti-communist enough uh-huh. so did you uh so how did you jump from being a, a former <laughs> editor of a, the largest vietnamese american newspaper to being a blogger Blogging is awesome. You should try it sometime, Dan. I I did sign up for a subversity blog or something, and then I forgot the password. <laughs> I have too many passwords, <laughs> so I have yes. to recreate it. And and they say that you shouldn't write down your password anywhere, right? Yeah, really. Um, actually, I've been blogging for a long time in Vietnamese oh. because um, in Vietnam, the um, basically the only outlet left for independent expression is by blogging. It's so internet. So a lot yeah. of people blog as a way to express themselves oh, and yeah, their thoughts yeah, because, um, because you know, there's no freedom of press in Vietnam. I mean, they, there, there is a theoretical freedom of press in the Vietnamese constitution, but it says something like there is freedom of the press within the confines allowed oh, by yeah. the law. Uh. And the quote-unquote the law is, you know, a huge, thick set of rules and on who can open a paper, who can write right. for a paper, and what kind of penalty you get for writing things they don't want you to write about. In theory, every uh, web page is, has to be registered. Of course, web pages go, <laughs> you know, fluctuate. So you can't, I mean, in practice, it yeah, doesn't. In, they in, can't in, enforce that. In theory, in Vietnam, every web page has to uh, register. And so, but um, what happens with bloggers in Vietnam is that they don't register anything. Right. They don't even have their own web page. They go on Yahoo!, and there's a, a service on Yahoo called 360 Degrees. Yes. And you go on yeah. that one and you write the blogs on there. So in theory, they're not creating their own web. They're just using a Yahoo web. So it's actually outside the country. Is it outside the country, the Yahoo um, server? I guess it is outside yeah. the country, wherever the Yahoo right. server yeah. is located. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. And so a lot of people in Vietnam exercise their freedom of expression that way. And so I've been blogging in Vietnamese for a long time and communicating with a lot of people in Vietnam through my, my Vietnamese blog. Wh- why so did it was a short yeah, so it's short to jump. go from yeah. a Vietnamese language blog dealing mostly with issues in Vietnam to an English language blog dealing with issues outside of Vietnam with the Vietnamese community in the U.S. But why use English uh, here? Why didn't you just do one in Vietnamese for the Vietnamese community here? Um, at the reason why I write in English is so that I can address the concerns and the questions and of people of more than just Vietnamese Americans. I mean, there are a lot of people who want to know about the Vietnamese community, and I think that's a good thing. I mean, when a community draws attention from others, I consider that a good thing, so I want to contribute to that. That's great, yeah. And the the name of your blog, Bosevic, was it really from this? Is it? It's a combination of Bosus, which is the main street in uh, Little Saigon, and 
Bolshevik, right? Or is that? Yeah, that's a, a little tongue-in-cheek name. Um, well, you know, Bosa Avenue is where a lot of Vietnamese businesses are located in Westminster. And a lot of Vietnamese would even call all of Little Saigon Bosa. Uh, so, so a Vietnamese could say something like, the, Oh, I have a, a, an office right, on, right in Bosa on Brookhurst Street, and which is, uh, yeah. to a normal person, it sounds... Yeah. Okay, so which, which one you mean? You mean Bosa or Brookhurst? But to a Vietnamese, <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. It means it's on Brookhurst and it's near, it's in Little Saigon. So we call all of Little Saigon uh, Bosa. Uh. And so... Um, and it's also a play on, obviously, if you notice, it's a play on the word Bolshevik. Because they call you a communist. Because they call me a communist. So I do the crime to fit the punishment, I guess. So it is the in-blog uh, in to go to for news about um, kind of uh, Vietnamese diasporic issues in the U.S. especially. Uh, you've been covering the controversies over different politicians uh, kind of accusing each other of different things. And uh, what do you think of Van Tran? He's the the highest elected, uh, now he's the highest elected Vietnamese American official. He's a state assemblyman. But Van Tran is, the, um, is now uh, um, one of two highest elected officials, Vietnamese American elected officials in the United States. There's Hubert Vaughn, who is yeah. also a member of the lower house in Texas. Um, and Van Tran, I don't know if you've ever talked to him. Well, quite a lot, story. actually. Yeah. Um, he showed himself to be a, a very intelligent and poli- politically savvy person. He's always shaking my hands and saying he'll be on the show, but I've never had him on yet. <laughs> he's like always uh, politicking, I guess you would say. Yeah, he's the consummate political animal. Yes. Um, and... Um, I think he did the Republican Party a very big favor during the last um, Senate campaign by Lynn Doucher against Lou Korea. He put a lot of his resources into that campaign and brought Lynn Doucher to a, a result that's a lot closer than anybody expected. Because he had this get-out-the-vote thing. He registered people, right? He registered people, and he got them out to vote. And so his, his, his get-out-the-vote machinery is something not to be um, ignored. Um, but for some reason, um, with that huge favor done to the Republican Party, um, he didn't get the Republican Party to do what he wanted, and that is for them to support one of his own allies for Chung. the special election to the Board of Supervisors. Oh, Chung. That, Chung. that would be Chung Nguyen. Yeah. And um, I think that is where he made a mistake. Chung is just too conservative. He's too conservative, he's, um, he's not that savvy, and he didn't make a lot of Republicans comfortable. Um, and, and I think that's where Van Tran made a mistake, and that is he, 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 he would think that people's, the fact that the Republican Party, like him, he expected them to transfer that oh. to another candidate, uh, another candidate who may not qualify for the position he was running for. So he didn't get that kind of support back from the uh, Republican Party, and he's been not happy ever since. So the one who did uh, get elected recently, uh, there was a—I uh, mean, it was the first time, right? It was Vietnamese versus Vietnamese on, on the border supervisors kind of race? Yeah, Janet Nguyen, who at one time was protege, a, yeah, a protege of Van Tran, 
um, won the special election last year and she won a re-election this year. Just, the yeah, just recently. And both time were against um, allies of Van Tran. Um, but even she had to go on this red baiting thing, right? Yes. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It's, um, it doesn't make any sense, but you know, that's the way things work in Little Saigon. And there were three candidates on on the ballot. All three were Vietnamese. There's Hoa Van Tran. He's um, an attorney, and he's running as a Democrat. Um, there's uh, Dina Nguyen. Dina yeah. is a current Gun Grove City Councilwoman and a uh, member of Van Tran's group. And then there's the incumbent, Janet Nguyen. And and I think Hoa Van Tran started the whole thing. Hoa Van Tran was the first one to call Janet a communist. Why? Why did she? Why did? Why was she accused of that? She's accused of being friends or associated with a person named Eric Lay. Oh. Eric Lay is a um, uh, a president and a sort of uh, um, the founder and president of a group called the Vietnam Business Association, which is a sort of a trade group trying to get businesses to invest in Vietnam. Um, and that group organized the reception for the Vietnamese president to come to dinner point and, and meet business people. So that's Eric Lay, and Eric Lay is accused of being a communist agent. And um, Janet Nguyen has been appearing at events, and there have been photos of Janet Nguyen sitting at the same table as Eric Lay, and Hoa Van Tran used those materials and called <laughs> Janet Nguyen a communist. And so that's one candidate calling her a communist. And then shortly after that, um, all of the uh, Van Tran allies started getting on radio and newspaper and started accusing, repeating the same accusations that Janet Nguyen is a communist. And at one time, Van Tran himself jumped into the fray. And that was when I was really surprised because Van Tran, in all the fighting, all the infighting before, all the um, red baiting and accusations back and forth um, never did the work I, himself. It's oh. always his other allies that did it. He's also always taking the high road. But this time around, he got on Vietnamese radio and started attacking Janet Nguyen directly and accusing her of of being a communist or you know saying things like, "If you are not a communist, why don't you respond to these allegations?" So. Um, after about two weeks of that, Janet Nguyen started hitting back and calling Van Tran. Uh, the funny thing is that she ignored her opponent, Dina Nguyen. She ignored her altogether. He jumped over Dina's head and hit Van Tran directly, and <laughs> calling Van Tran a communist. So now... Well, what was the reason for that? Well, Van Tran um, received contribution and was seen at receptions, you know, the same way Janet Nguyen was seen at receptions with another group up in San Jose uh -huh. that's also um, sponsoring the trip by the uh, Vietnamese government, uh, Vietnamese president to Dana Point, and yeah. also calling for people to invest in Vietnam. So basically, almost exactly the same thing that uh, Hoa Van Tran and Dina Nguyen and the other people were accusing Jan Nguyen of, well, she hit Van Tran with the exact same thing. It's, it's all downhill from there, I'm telling you.
We're talking with Hao Yan uh, Vu, who's the blogger at bolshevik.com. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California nor the management of KUCI. Um, you know, Van Tran, of course, actually did uh, take a stand more publicly, I think, in terms of uh, Lely Hayslip. She, uh, the state assembly was going to honor her, and uh, she got a, he got a resolution saying that she was you know too close to Vietnam and she, we shouldn't honor her. Yeah, normally Van Tran tries to stay above the fray, but obviously when it comes into some action by the assembly, you know, he couldn't send his surrogates over. He had to do. Oh it yeah, himself. he he's so, the so elected official. Sort of conclude that he would only do it himself if he really really has to. Um, and um, in this case, I don't know why he had to do it himself. He could always ask Dina to say it. Um, he taped his own uh, paid ad that caused Janet Nguyen a communist. So. Do, do they, um, they do they give out leaflets also on this, or is it more just oh everything everything paper ads leaflets uh, mailers? Um, there's a mailer on California Assembly letterhead. Uh, <laughs> and was calling Janet Nguyen a communist. Is um, it and radio ads and TV ads. We're it, talking about everything but the kitchen sink here. In English too, right? Uh, or no, it's, mostly it's all in Vietnamese. Vietnamese. It's all in Vietnamese. Oh. If it weren't for the Bolshevik, you'd never know about it. <laughs> so um, how did you, I mean, do you have enough to keep, I mean, you do, you do work on it almost daily, right? I mean, there's almost something going on. There's every, always something or going daily. on every day. Um, this is a vibrant community. There's always something um, happening. Um, good or bad, and um, good or bad, it'll be on bullsific.com. Are they, uh, so that's a plug for your blog. The uh, Are you getting people to call you up confidentially to tell you information to? Or do you no. just find it usually? Um, a lot of time I just find it, but yes, if you have, I guess if any listener has something, hey, feel free to call me or email me. And the, your email's on the, it's just bullsific at gmail. Yes, very simple, bullsific at gmail.com. So the um, do you feel that uh, the mainstream well the mainstream media is paying attention to your blog right I mean uh, I know the other columnists have uh, have quoted from it yeah I've noticed that um, Martin Wisco at the yeah. register quotes from the Bolshevik from time to time um, Nick Scow at the OC Weekly um, people here and there I've noticed that and I'm really happy about it how about the other cities uh do they think, uh, what do they think of you, the other um, Vietnamese Americans outside of Little Saigon? Do, th- do other n- regions also uh, yeah, I've, I've quote had, you or um, something? I have uh, feedback from people, you know, in, in basically in, in all major Vietnamese enclaves in the U- U.S. I've had feedback from people from San Jose, from Houston, from Dallas, from the Northeast. And so, um, they... I mean, have the attacks gone down then? I mean, people did, did people attack you personally in terms of the protests originally? Oh, that's basically, that's one of everything. There are people, you know, thinking the world of me, and there are people who yeah. think I'm really a communist agent. In, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wolf in sheep clothing. Um, there are people who think that, um, and then obviously there are always people getting on my block and attack each other. Um, oh, yeah. It, it reached really show level um, the day before the election. 
for the supervisor or supervisors and it's a little tapered off now but still come up from time to time what is uh what is janet wynn's position on uh police uh on controlling the police or pol- controlling the you know the sheriff's department and stuff i know she voted for a couple of people and there's going to be a vote on the sheriffs uh on the new sheriff uh in orange county what what do you think is her stance on does she want a woman um sheriff or what? i um she wouldn't answer questions like that because obviously she wants to reserve her vote until the very last minute until uh-huh. she actually had to push the button um but uh, if you would look at all the discussions and all the voting going on i guess at the end of the day there was a movement to break away completely from the um current from the microona yeah. era from the yes time of the previous very controversial and very indicted sheriff <coughs> uh, anderson didn't get any votes or, or got maybe got one vote or something anderson got one vote yeah um at the um during the week before the election there was some rumor flying and published on OC Weekly about maybe Janet made a deal with Mike Schroeder who's a former state chairman of the Republican Party and a very strong ally of Van Tran maybe she made a deal with him to keep Anderson around for a while because and in return Mike Schroeder would stop his attacks on Janet Nguyen <laughs> um, so yeah like I said, there's always something going on. But she didn't vote for Anderson, right? Not in this round. Not this last round, yeah. yeah. And the how about in terms of police accountability? I know the register has been pushing for a, a civilian review board for the county and stuff. What is her stance on that? Um, I have no what I have yeah. no idea what her stance is on that because I've never asked her. Yeah. Um, another thing about um, Vietnamese politicians in general maybe with the exception of, of uh, maybe just Madison Nguyen, the city councilwoman in San Jose, every other part, and maybe a little bit with the exception of Van Tran as well, so basically with two exceptions, everybody else is so guarded in anything they say. Yeah. A lot of times, if you interview a Vietnamese-American politician, you come away with the impression that these people really are afraid <laughs> of answering questions. Well, Madison was a community activist, and you know, so I mean, he she is yeah, on the progressive who, side. So people who grow yeah. up being activists, they are a lot yeah. less afraid of answering questions on policy matters. So Van Tran was also something of an activist. Oh, so definitely, he wasn't afraid. Uh, I mean, Madison Wynn was a community yeah. activist. So she was not afraid. He but stood in. Yeah, Van stood in for McCain at the you know Asian Pacific Islander. Um, vote, vote yes. yeah, thing at Brand Center here on UCI campus, and he introduced himself as a alumnus of UCI, and uh, I'm sure he was active in the you know refugee uh, yes. boat people. He activism. was active in the boat people yeah. um, issues when he was a student. So people who grew up activists, they are not afraid to speak their mind. But a lot of other politicians, including practically all of Van's allies. They didn't grow up that way. They they came into the Van Tran machine um, as an operative for him. Yeah, yeah. Rudina Nguyen, for example, had no pass or no no ties with the community before she became a partition. Did Janet have more of a tie to um, the community? Janet was a uh, an, a um, 
a staff member for Assemblyman Ken Maddox. Oh, so oh, I see. Came up through the political side as well. So she too was really not a lot of time not giving substantive answers to to interview questions. Mm. Um, it's um, so, like I said, with the, with maybe the ex- exception of Mason Nguyen and Van Tran interviewing other Vietnamese politicians, um, it's really hard to get policy or substantive answers out of them. So a lot of time what I end up asking about are political bickering materials, oh. which, uh, you know, it's kind of like reading the, the a political version of National Enquirer. It's all gossiping, and for all we know, it may be more popular. Oh, definitely, it's probably more popular. Um, but I'm not sure if it adds very much to the substance. Yeah, it doesn't add much to the debate, but to the debate. a lot to the flavor. For sure. So the, you don't feel threatened huh, with these protests still going on. I mean, the, it's against the paper now, so you're out of the paper. Do you feel personally threatened? I've never felt personally threatened. And and funny enough, the reason why I've never felt personally threatened is because Kino is a very experienced person in all things relating to protests. So he knows where the limits are. I mean, he went to the Republican Party uh, convention as a delegate, right? Right. Before. And so, he, and he, he, for he example, knows. we know that he knows enough not to touch anybody because, you know, he's been around long enough. He knows he wants to touch somebody. That's bothering. Well, I, I remember at the high-tech protest, he went on a megaphone and told people that the lawyer for, uh, uh, for what's his name, uh, Tran, the, the high-tech, owner. high-tech uh, owner, was there, and they all rushed uh, to beat him up. And, yeah, exactly. But he went Kino on the mic. Standing there. But he just said, oh, there's the lawyer, and they surrounded him and kicked him and stuff, and it was only the reporters there that surrounded, that helped him get out of there, the lawyer. Yes, yeah, so um, even, even from, from that instance, then we know that the Kino knew what he's doing. Or he, he knew exactly where the line is. He's, he stays just on this side of the line <laughs> with a megaphone saying, oh, there's the lawyer, there's the bad lawyer. <laughs> and then other people reacted to it. But, you know, mm. I guess he, in, in, in his mind, if, if anything ever got to court, then uh, he could say that, oh, all I did was to identify the person. I didn't say anything. Didn't say go get him. Oh. Rabble rouser. He's definitely a good definitely. rabble rouser. Um, where did he get his training in all this kind of rabble rousing? Was it, I mean, the, was it, uh, and how did he get his start in know, it? Like a rabble rousing school. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, he's been uh, around for a long time. He's protested against Tony Lamb. For sure, I remember that. Vietnamese American. Yeah, the Tony couldn't even get in they wouldn't let him into the this uh center where Loretta Sanchez was speaking and they wouldn't let Tony in because he thought he was like a uh, communist uh because of you know the controversy over the people that were dropped by the CIA in the north and there was uh, they were there actually the people there uh the survivors of that drop and um, they yeah, wouldn't the, um, let him in until I don't know, until they all came out and then Eventually. Yeah, the, back when they were protesting against Tony Lam, it was really nasty. I remember that there was a funeral. Oh, where, yeah. Uh, Tony Lam went to the funeral, and the protesters knew about it, so they all got together and they almost protested the funeral, which is really disrespectful. But uh, yeah, also, but uh, so it it shows that you know, um, in a lot of ways, if you look at the Noviet and the Viet Weekly protests, 
it may be nasty and it may be totally silly for somebody looking at it, but in comparison, much more low key. You know, a decade ago, it's yeah. improved. Yeah, and I remember outside Tony's office, I would show right to Tony's restaurant. They were out there and doing all sorts of stuff outside the restaurants while people were eating. And I remember going there one time, and they chased me back to my car. <laughs> they didn't like me taking pictures, and I just ran to my car and drove off. <laughs> I wasn't about to stand there. Yeah. So the protests of today, or you know, a big improvement over the protests of 1999. During the high tech thing, I wrote a piece, op-ed for the LA Times, saying that this was the last gasp of these of red baiting, and that was what ten years ago, <laughs> almost ten years ago. Uh, do you think they will ever it will ever end? Um, I don't think it will ever end, but um, to say that in 1999 it was a last gasp, um, it it turns out to be untrue as we've seen now. Right. But it's close enough because you know this dying breath um, is it's like a dying breath. I mean, they are having a protest every day, day and night against Nuviet. But look how many people are there. Basically, just Kino and a couple of his friends. Yeah, I went there one night, and there was like three people there. Yeah, so so it's it actually is something of a dying breath. Yeah, so it will never be over, but it'll be just it, it will never have the kind of um, intensity um, that it had in 1999. Do you want to publish a newspaper now or not? Um, I'm not. Planning on it, but um, I'm not. I'm not going to turn down an opportunity if it comes around. Well, we're talking. We've been talking this hour with uh, Hao Yan uh, Vu, who's the uh, blogger at Bolshevik.com. So ch- you can check out his blog at that uh, uh, URL: Bolshevik B O L S A V I K dot com. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. This is Dan Sam signing off for Subversity. Yeah, on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.